Hello, and welcome to Glory Be, interesting people and how they pray. Each week, we chat with interesting people about their lives, their work, and how they pray. I'm Sharon Hannish. And I'm Mike Malcolm, and we're joined by our guest host and pastor, Father Jack Gleason. Our guest this week is Sister Mary Margaret Funk. Sister Meg has been a Benedictine nun at Our Lady of Grace Monastery in Beech Grove, Indiana, since 1961. She holds an MA from Catholic University in Religion and Religious Education and an MS from Indiana University. She has served as a fourth grade teacher, as director of catechesis for the Catholic Archdioceses of Indianapolis and Louisville, as prioress both in Beech Grove and in Ireland at Kylemore Abbey, as executive director of monastic interreligious dialogue, and as director of the School of Lexio Divina in Benedict Indi- uh, at Benedict Inn, Beech Grove, Indiana. She's the author of five books in the Matter series that brings forward the teachings of the desert spirituality. She is currently facilitating the St. Inda Retreat, a 100-day online retreat. She is also a great friend of St. Joseph's Monastery here in Tulsa and helped them found their School of Lexio. And she's also a great friend of Father Jack and I, which is why Father Jack has joined us to help with this interview. Sister Meg, we're so excited you're here. Thank you for joining us. Well, you're very welcome. This was an invitation that I welcomed. In other words, sometimes you are overwhelmed and kind of wonder, you know, where things fit in or don't fit in. You have to do a lot of discernment. No discernment on this one. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to hear that because I was a little nervous because, uh, you know, you're kind of, I think of you as sort of maybe one of our more prestigious guests, you know. So <laughs> I was hoping you would say yes, but I didn't want to bother you because I... I know you've been busy even during this pandemic. You know, uh, you've been doing the St. Enda Retreat, which I have done two times now. We just wrapped up. So how has your pandemic been? Well, here at Beach Grove, and I think it's done a lot of good for us, uh, 50 of us here. Uh, there's a few nuns that live here that are from Ferdinand or another Benedictine house. So it's been a critical mass of 50. And we have a resident chaplain, so we've had mass every day. So it's been uh, different from what I think other people's experience has been. We've been more intense, more together, uh, more restricted in a very good sense. Uh, the the uh, 100% cooperation, like we wanted to look out for each other. You know, we own and operate St. Paul Hermitage, which is a resident facility for the elderly. And it was kind of uh, a delight for us to protect those 100 people. Uh, like... Uh, I don't know what happened to the housekeeping staff, but 12 of us went over and did 48 toilets and and rooms. (laughs) And then, you know, all that visiting through the windows. Well, then another group of us went over and had to wash those windows, you know. Um, But there was a lot of uh, camaraderie uh, and and wholesome fear, wholesome fear that we knew this was beyond anything we've ever dealt with. And to protect our elderly, we lost three nuns. And there was a couple of people that died of covid but they were in their 90s. Um, And there was all the time uh, people with COVID in the house and on restrictions and the flexibility too. You didn't know when you woke up what jobs you were going to get because somebody else might have to go into uh, isolation. So it it did both things. It made us treasure what we have and created an openness to the call. Mm. Mm. I love that wholesome fear just in the sense of kind of, an appreciation of risk, but 
from the perspective of faith and just open to whatever. It sounds like just a lot of openness. That's great. That's great. Um, I know you're a, you're a Benedictine at, um, at Our Lady of Grace Monastery. Uh, my mom was asked one time, because uh, the priest was saying, oh, your son's a, a priest. What order is he in? And my mom didn't know what she was talking about because we, we don't have a lot of orders in our area. So, so what's a Benedictine? And then, um, and then your call to join the monastery, can it maybe what, uh, what led you to, to join the monastery? Well, thank you, Jack. Um, the Benedictine, first of all, uh, my mother was trained by the sisters of Providence in Terre Haute, Indiana. In fact, she was sister Philip Neary before she left the convent. <laughs> so that may give you my earliest novitiate. <laughs> yeah. But there were six of us, and we were all sent to boarding schools. And my mother was a scholar herself, and she recognized that um, the Benedictines would be the oldest treasured kind of academic tradition. And so we were all sent to Benedictine schools. Uh, my brothers in La Salle, Peru, St. Bede, and myself and my sister here at Lady of Grace, the Benedictines, they were just starting from Ferdinand. And so I... Uh, we were boarding um, in academics uh, as high school, and then I just entered right after high school. And the reason I came wasn't the reason I stayed. Mm. That's another story. But I do find the Benedictine is a solid, historic. Uh, I I have I just barely have uncovered uncovered its depth, mm. and uh, I've become more of a Benedictine than ever because. When I was a novice, it was still those years where you memorized the rule. And I recited the rule on my knees. And I was so smart, Alec, that the novice mistress made me recite it backwards because I did all <laughs> 70, <laughs> 72 chapters. And she said, okay, you now go do it backwards. <laughs> but anyway, I, I did memorize the rule. And then as a student, I started I, at Catholic U. I learned scripture and hermeneutics. And so when I was primus, I then went into the rule of Benedict and all the footnotes. And that's how I wrote the books. So that's mm. more than you want to know. But the Benedictine thing has been very, very uh, stunning for me. Mm. Wonderful. Sharon and I actually, we uh, obviously how we came to know about you was we began reading your books. And, uh, and so we would meet and talk about them and, and really just to grow and kind of gleaning kind of the wisdom from that and then applying that in our lives. So, so the, the books you, so it came from the footnotes that you were studying. And then, so maybe tell us a little bit in terms of this, this matters to your thoughts matters, tools matter, Lexio matters. Um, what are okay, they about? Well, well, first of all, thoughts do matter. And I remember uh, discovering that, that my, dissatisfaction was really all about me and my thoughts. And so I was looking for more guidance and I frankly did not find it. Uh, I didn't find it at Catholic University. I didn't find it in the division. I didn't find it in spiritual direction. I wanted more guidance. I, I wanted more training of the mind. And after I was Paris, I became executive director for monastic dialogue. And there I was with the Dalai Lama and a lot of uh, other monastics from Hindus and Buddhist traditions. And I realized that they had this actual training of what to do with their mind when thoughts rose and, and how they shifted them and where they went with them. And there's a real technology about the mind. 
And when I was reading the footnotes of the Benedictine rule, he, Benedict, accessed um, mainly the scriptures, but then John Cashin, uh, who was a desert spiritual master, who, in other words, I started reading the sources that Benedict used to write the rule, and it became my teacher. That, it was most satisfying. Now, I probably would not have discovered it, to be real honest, if I wasn't in East-West Dialogue, where I was jealous of these other monks and nuns that had a teacher that would train my mind. See, at Catholic U, or all my trainings, they told me what to think, like content, but not, and they, even logic and metaphysics and, you know, all that, but they didn't teach me the tech technique of thinking. You know, how does how do thoughts rise? Where do they go? Which ones do you want? How do you sort them out? And that's discernment. And that's in this earlier tradition. But it got lost and it wasn't taught. And so then when I wrote Thoughts Matter, I took literally oh four or five years mastering the material and writing it with a Hindu teacher. In other words, I was studying Hinduism at the time. And but I must admit, she kind of wanted me to go Hindu and be under her guru. But I realized Jesus was my guru and that these teachings were right in front of me. And I would have to say a big thanks, too, to some scholars that were like Trappist monks. And they got me some early English translations. This stuff wasn't translated in the 90s in English. So I had to find it. And, and I got dribbles and drips. But that made me study it all the more. And, of course, I wanted to show off with those scholars that I could read as well as they could. And, and, but it was starting that dialogue of, like, well, what do they mean? How does it go together? Um, and then, in fairness to Centering Prayer and lots of uh, lay catechists, they wanted me to teach this, and I was eager to teach it. And both of us, the three of us, know if you teach it, you know it twice. Mm-hmm. Teaching really clarifies in wonderful questions. Uh, And so the books came out of that. You know, you've started now kind of with the St. Enda retreat, which is this online retreat, this 100-day online retreat, uh, kind of teaching this series a little bit. You know, can you talk about that retreat? And if people are interested, can we put a link in our show notes? Um, We will also link people to your books. And... um, but anyway, I, I really enjoyed the St. Ender Retreat, particularly during the pandemic, uh, getting up each morning and having a little voice memo. And it's based on, you know, we kind of, we've been learning how to uh, renounce our thoughts and our former way of life. And, um, you know, especially it's available for those people who maybe can't attend. We have, nobody's been able to come to the School of Lexio because of the pandemic. It's a kind of an alternative way to do that. Can you talk about that? Well, yes. And... Um St. Ninda's 100-day retreat. St. Ninda was a saint in Ireland after St. Patrick. St. Patrick, as you know, uh, was a slave. When he was there for six years, he learned the language, and then he came back 20 years later as a bishop and and integrated, you know, enculturated Christianity with the wonderful indigenous peoples. And 50 years later, St. Ninda inherited Inishmoor, which is one of the three Aran Islands south of Galway there, you know, and um, so, <laughs> but St. Enda was a warrior monk. You wonder why there wasn't uh, more, more Christians on the island is because he, clean, he um, 
the island first. (laughs) (laughs) And then he established eight monasteries. But when he did these monasteries, there's evidence in these high crosses that he taught John Cashin and Evagrius in Abba Anthony. So these afflictive thoughts were all in pictures in, in the art and in the teachings. And there is evidence that they had this desert tradition before the before then Benedict would be, you know, another hundred years later. So um, anyway, so the earliest teaching of this desert tradition, you can find it right there in any more. Now, I was the superior at Kamor Abbey, which uh, just a, is an hour from that island. And one of the nuns was from there. And we all took the, the um, Rossville um, ferry over and spent days at Aran Islands. And we fantasized about building an institute there to train people in the thoughts matter, tools matter, lexio matters, in the earliest monastic tradition. And we were very serious. We looked at property. We were getting money. Uh, you know, I didn't see myself there forever, but I had a three-year commitment. And uh, the nuns were very excited about it. So this was a real thing to do St. Inda on Inishmore. Mm-hmm. And th- now, so I was writing the book, Discernment Matters, and I made up this retreat that's 100 days and you you go to St. Inda, you know. And I gave it a couple times to a few willing people. But during the when the pandemic first started, Father Daniel Choning, who's a superior of the Carmelites in Rome, he called me and says, Meg, I'm going to be locked up for 100 days. Can you give me the St. Inda retreat? So I said, sure. And so I got about seven other people with him. And I did the 100 days with him. And then it was so good. We did. I did another one with Kathleen Cahalan a very fine teacher from St. John's. And then we did another one. So I've done three in the last 400 days, and today's the end of the third one. So it's been rigorous, but I can't tell you how um, satisfying it is because we're talking about content. Our tradition kind of got evaporated or sideways, a little bit too moralistic or too, I don't know what, too church consciousness rather than Christ consciousness. And so this is a return to our original intent. Well, I've, I've loved it. You know, it's just been great for me and a big part of my prayer. And, and as uh, we're transitioning now, so the first part of our podcast is interesting people and how they pray. So now we're moving to the how they pray segment. Um, so you've mentioned all these books that you've written and retreats that you guide and your vocation story. So... You're a Benedictine nun. You know, how do you pray? You know, uh, how does your community pray? Tell us about your personal prayer. Talk about your own way of praying each day. Okay, I'm going to do it in two parts. First is the formal Benedictine, you know. And again, being prayers, one of the very fortunate things was uh, I got a big Lily endowment grant to retrieve, reclaim, and reappropriate monastic prayer for women. And so we redid the breveries and, you know, like a 12 nun committee and lots of music and the chants. And, you know, we, we really did refound our common life. Now there's the personal and there's the community life, which is divine office. And then there's the mass. So as promised, we got to redo the community uh, opus dei. But then as an individual, I also got funds to retrieve Lexia Divina, which is the traditional personal prayer. And honestly, I didn't find anybody that did it. 
Are you surprised? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that was even more challenging to find uh, people that did it and to find a teacher. Again, I didn't find a teacher. I found the teachings. And I found it in scripture, hermeneutics, and, you know, the book Lexio Matters is how to do a sustained Lexio. And it's the four voices received by the four senses. And since you've got me on this podcast, I think what I'd like to use my precious minutes for, to, to the one teaching that we don't really have to pray. We have to let prayer happen to us. The Holy Spirit is already alive in us. And, and just in the more solitude, silence, and stillness, you can feel the pulsating Holy Spirit. So what we have to do to prepare for that is to lay aside our afflictions. And my biggest affliction was anger, but a lot of other people have other afflictions. But frankly, once you renounce your afflictions, and just one of them, that prayer starts surging up, and it happens uh, always. And there's lots of teachings about prayer, but discernment helps you find the prayer that the Holy Spirit is already inviting you to. And when your spiritual senses wake up, uh, that prayer then is not episodic. It's all the time. And so the spiritual senses are in touch with the actual indwelling, the grace. And then the actual graces keep the afflictions at bay by helping us guard our heart and watch our thoughts so that those afflictions don't return with a vengeance. But if they do return and when they do return, they have to pause and sort them out, offer them up, and pray. So there's where, see, most people start with that prayer. But I would say the starting point is to renounce um, my afflictions so that the surge of grace just rises naturally. And then the key of it is to follow that surge of grace. I actually don't pray very much. Not really. And I don't, uh, I do a lot of Lexio, just I don't know how to describe it, but it's very organic and almost no effort. Can you, for our listeners, because I know we, you teach about the afflictions, can you, can you tell the listeners sort of like what the afflictions are? I know people are very familiar with the seven deadly sins, but maybe they haven't heard that language before. Thanks, Sharon. You're right. This is before uh, they were collapsed into the seven sins. The whole afflictions would be the start of it, the beginning of it. So there's afflictions of the body, food, sex, and things. Afflictions of the mind, anger and dejection. Afflictions of the soul, acidia, which is a listlessness of the soul. Uh, Acidia, vainglory, and pride. So there's eight of them. And these eight afflictions are classic. They are all the time and everybody. And you might have one more than the other. But the teaching is very logical and it starts very simple and gets very complex. The worst sin, of course, would be pride, that you think you are God. So uh, the teaching on, uh, this comes from John Cashin, who was born in 366. So we're talking way back, you know, way back. Uh, And then he's bringing forward uh, Evagrius, who was a little harder to read. Evagrius was more philosophical. John Cashin was warm and more friendly to me. You know, but these eight afflictives uh, is in my book. If you want to read just one book, it is called Thoughts Matter. And see, again, because if your thought is all anger, well, then you're not going to pray. But if you can lay that anger aside, then notice what I'm saying here. I don't pray, 
prayer happens in me because it's already there. My consciousness is covered over with my anger. And that's why to guard my heart, watch my thoughts, I'm very careful about what I let in my mind because it's too fragile and it takes off on its own. Does that make sense? Yes. And I know something you've also talked about a lot is the Jesus prayer, you know, using that as a tool, a practice. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Once you kind of notice that it's your mind is still and it's at rest, yet um, the, the tradition of the Jesus prayer is to put in the mind the name of Jesus, the, the image of Jesus, the, and to always be in need of God's mercy, kind of a practice of humility. So the Jesus prayer is simply this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or a short form, Jesus mercy, Jesus mercy. Now, it's very profound, so I don't recommend it unless you have somebody to help you uh, learn it and stay with it. You know, why? why it's so powerful is... You know, look out. If you're going to have Jesus in your mind. Yeah. Jack, what would you say to that? <laughs> no, I, I would agree. I would agree. But it, but it is, um, I think, to your point of these afflictive thoughts that come. And so just finding ways of either preventing those thoughts from coming, or if they do come, which they do come, and you not free-falling with them or rooting them out. And so it's just kind of that image that you've used in, in one of your books, kind of you're weeding the garden, if you will, and then just letting, kind of, so the Holy Spirit and, and God's grace within us just letting letting that grow. So it's just kind of removing the obstacles and letting mm-hmm. prayer emerge. So it's a beautiful image that you've used in, in your writings, your teachings. Yeah, there's a technical term, extirpate. You know, like now it's springtime and there's a lot of gardening. But literally, um, you can pull up by the roots, that anger, and, and it's gone. Here's the really good news. St. India, you know, it's 100 days in, ending today. People are on the other side of their afflictions. Now, but you're right. The next affliction can come worse than the first. So it's good to have a practice of prayer, a habit of prayer, in the holy name of Jesus, or the practice of presence, or um, the little way, or recollection um, but again, it takes discernment. Discernment means I don't really know how to pray. I ask our Lord, how do you want me to pray? And then that comes, you know, um, less of me and more of God. You know, the, the whole idea of St. Inda is to shift from this self-consciousness where all I'm doing is talking between my ears, listening to myself, talk to myself about myself, <laughs> and being Christ conscious, that Christ is present. Christ is here. Christ is real. And that consciousness is so much sweeter and softer and subtler and relaxing. And again, the pandemic, people have dropped back. And that would be the gain, I'd say, of the pandemic, if we could stay in this Christ zone. Well, you know, you make it sound uh, beautiful and easy. And I know it has not always been easy to pray for you. Can you talk about a time in your life when maybe it's been difficult to pray? And how you navigated that. Okay. You know, I'll just start with, I live here in Beach Grove. And uh, you remember that FedEx shooting on on the news? Uh, you know, a machine gun, a 19-year-old. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of Sikhs that were killed. And anyway, a lot of those people were from Beach Grove. Mm-hmm. So we had a prayer service down at uh, in front of the city hall. 
And again, it was so sad. And there was one 19-year-old girl that lives just a block away. Her family was there. Uh, dead, you know, just dead because of this senseless um, shooting. So, again, the 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 um, hmm, burden of that and that it was so close and that nobody should have uh, weapon-style guns, especially somebody that was mentally ill, that it had been red-flagged and all that. So, again, you can get into how sad that is and the thing, the drama of it. And then we went to a prayer service and to stand there and pray for others. So, again, I dropped out of my grief and into Christ Jesus, and I imaged myself with Jesus on the cross in the side of Jesus, in the wound, and just lifted that up, the, the pathos of this little uh, beach grove. The reason why we're beach grove is Amtrak has its roundhouse here. So we do all the uh, fixing up of those trains that crash in Boston and New York, you know, in Washington. So it's a poor city, really. 25% less income in beach grove than in the state of Indiana. So it's very um, modest means. But again, to stand there with other citizens and ask Christ Jesus to lift them up. Um, so again, if I would have gone up the chain, though, of my own anger at gun control, at senseless uh, shooting and poverty and ignorance. So again, what in order to pray, first of all, to watch my thoughts and then to drop back from them and ask Jesus to come behind my eyes to the suffering people that were in front of City Hall that day. You know, I, I think most people you use the term um, Lexio Divina, so this holy reading, this divine reading. Uh, most people think like, oh, okay, I take a scripture passage. and But it sounds like you used that experience to, as a, in some sense, kind of a holy reading to what kind of sources, if you will, of for, for people doing Lexio or, you know, kind of that jumping off point into prayer. Okay, Lexio Divina really is a sustained, first of all, to be Christian, we have to be biblically rooted. The, uh, the Bible really is our text, but it's, um, it needs much reverence and study and um, sustained attention to it and the not just parts of it but the whole of it so notice i let my mind drop to my heart and i let the passage rise what do i pray about this situation the fedex massacre and what rose was jesus on the cross in the in the side and so i placed so it was lexa divina because i knew that story so well and i had done a lot of meditation on that myself i could put all those wounded people in the wounded side of jesus so, but Lexia Divina uh, calls for, now this may sound a contradictory, it's not easy. In other words, that's a full-time obligation to lean, lean into and linger and stay and make a full life of, of uh, immersing into the scriptures. Hmm. So, um, so when you say you don't really, you don't really pray much, you pray all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Other than when you're distracted by something. So, so because when you said that earlier, I thought, like, Sharon, I, and I would say, like, Sister Meg, she's one of the holiest people we know. So, yes, I had just said that to Mike before, uh, <laughs> before we got started. Yeah. So, just so our listeners know, when, when Sister Meg says that she doesn't pray much, it's what she means is 
there's not much work in it. She's just letting things like removing obstacles and just letting it emerge. Yes. Exactly. And at some point, and, and, and it's not very advanced, I think at a, at a very early point, the actual grace of the Holy Spirit is the prayer. And you quit that grunting and that so right effort is just following the pace of grace. And it's so much gentler and subtler. And you know, I noticed in your question too, when was there time that you didn't pray? Well, see, again, once this gets going, there's not ever a time that you're not praying. Jackie already figured it out because it's praying in you. And so now what, what I have to do is keep my spiritual senses open. I can't uh, risk them to be uh, violated by too much of anything or too loud or too fragmented or too far off my message. So, so in a way, God never leaves me, but I can leave God through reckless living. For me, it'd be overwork. Overwork. Uh, would take away this sense of peace, this sense of uh, ongoing, sustained lexio. Well, Sister Meg, this has just been a great interview. We're, we're starting to wrap up, but we always ask, you know, speaking of prayer, um, if there was one prayer intention that you could ask all of our listeners to join you in praying for, what would that be? You know, I am going to go back to needless violence because of guns. You know, I'd like to pray that for sure we would just start with with uh, weapons that are military. You know, have those off our streets. Have them not available. Or ammunition. Who needs ammunition that much, you know? So let's pray that we would have some common sense gun control and that people would not encourage each other with their guns. In other words, drop that culture. And, and find other ways and replace all that with dialogue. You know, you end up dialoguing anyway. So let's start with dialogue. Mm. Let's start with listening to each other and finding out what's, what is the matter and how, how much mental anguish are you under and can we do some uh, other methods that could give you some peace. Mm. So that would be my prayer. Yeah. That's great. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, that's beautiful. Well, Father Jack and I, for our listeners, we've known Sister Meg for 15, we were trying to think, 15 or 20 years, and we uh, we haven't seen you in a while because you haven't been to Tulsa real recently, so we're so grateful <laughs> that you joined us today, and we would love for you to, we always end our podcast with a glory be, will you lead us in a glory be? Most honored. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 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 Thank you, Sister Meg. Great to see you. Thanks for your (laughs) insights. Thanks for sharing your time with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. God bless you and your ministry as well. Glory Be is a production of the Office of Communications at the Church of St. Mary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm your producer, Mike Malcolm. See you next time.